Can they can they hear now? Are we ready with the so okay. So guys, uh we went over this, but anyways, look at this. The way remember the oh the screen. Sorry. Uh huh. Uh, do you see the direction of the fiber, right? Look at the direction of this. Do uh, you know what is a pennate uh, muscle is and, you know, and circular and all of these fibers, anatomy that you have to study for your PCAT. Okay, so the pectoral is minor over here. The pectoral is major, and all the the fibrous tissue that is uh, able to tie the muscles or connect the muscles to a bone, right? Over here we have the inner part, and these are the external external intercostal muscles. Look at the fiber up. You see the fiber up. That's why this, the external intercostal muscle is able to just elevate the ribs, right? Look at the direction of the fiber. Huh? So, the, this is the intercostal bundle, intercostal bundle, nerves, nerves, arteries, and veins. Internal intercostal muscles. Look at the fibers down. Look at the direction. Remember that the muscle are binded to the bone by the tendons, right? So we don't produce movement by pushing the bones, but pulling the bones in one or other direction. Okay, in the case of these intercostal muscles, one is to elevate the ribs and the other to depress the ribs. Okay, so the fibers for elevate the ribs runs up, right? As the fibers to depress the ribs goes down. So by pulling ribs down, we are helping in the expiration by pulling the ribs up, helping in the inspiration. Easy busy, right? Certain diseases as, uh, for example, uh, one that uh, is sort of eradicated is, um, is, uh, is able, is gonna be able to damage the the nerves denervate the, the muscles, so this person cannot use the, the muscles and they, they're going to have uh, a big problem at the time to complete the inspiratory, the force inspiratory uh, test when you perform uh, a respiratory uh, test, okay? So... After this, let's go to the nerves of the thoracic wall. 
Essentially, guys, the nerves are the one, the spinal nerves that leaves just the, the spinal cord in the back, right? And they're going to go and supply all the thoracic area, right? So they leave the intervertebral foramina and they are going to divide into anterior and posterior rami. If it's one nerve, we are talking about a ramus, anterior ramus, for example, of the four intercostal nerve, posterior ramus of the four intercostal nerves. But if we, we're gonna talk about from T1 to T12, we talk about these intercostal nerves, they have anterior and posterior rami, okay? So they run along the stent of these intercostal spaces, the anterior rami of the, the T12 nerves is inferior to the, the rib number 12 and form the subcostal nerves. And the posterior of the thoracic, they're gonna uh, pass immediately laterally and uh, they're going to supply the bones, the joints, the back, uh, you can say muscles, muscles that we have big bang, like, uh, like the quadratus, okay? And the skin in the back of the thoracic region. Um, the way we have the axis of this uh, nerve, remember we have the thoracolumbar, what? Sympathetic chain, right? Thoracolumbar sympathetic chain. And of course, we're gonna have in every division, we're gonna have what? We're gonna have sympathetic ganglia, okay? From from T1 to T12, T2 to T12, okay? Then, um, ah, the posterior, look at, look at the, okay, internal, okay, internal intercostal, internal intercostal, inner muscle over here. You see we have like a sheath of muscle over here. And we have at the edge of this uh, rib, this rib edge, we, edge, we have a bundle of uh, nerve, vein, and artery. And over here we have collateral, right? So, in order to access this area for a chest tube, or if you want to, for example, uh, drain fluid from, from the thoracic cavity, you're going to need to anesthetize this area, right? And you will need to enter just avoiding the lower part of the superior rib because if you enter straight very close to the border of the 
to the inferior border of the superior rib, you're gonna make a disaster. You're gonna damage the artery, you're gonna damage the vein, and you're gonna damage the nerve. Understand what I'm saying? So we need to, every performance or every single, you know, access that you need to do into the thoracic cavity, okay, we need to do mainly or all the time just using the superior border of the inferior rib as a reference, okay? This is a typical intercostal nerve, okay? We have the sympathetic ganglia over here, right? The sympathetic trunk. We have the, the ganglion leaving these two sides, right? The dorsal ramus over here that goes to the back to collect sensory information or the motor branch of the dorsal ramus to innervate the posterior muscles in the back, okay? And the ventral ramus is going to innervate the anterior part. And from this, we're gonna have the arising of the intercostal nerves, okay? Intercostal nerves. Uh, this is over here, a fascia covering the muscle, right? The aponeurosis. And this is the body. Of course, we are looking at the superior view with the transverse cut, understand what I'm saying? We're looking like, like superior view, and this is a transverse plane or plan. And from outside to inside, we have the skin, right? With the high, uh, epidermis and all of these, hypodermis, the different layers of muscle, right? And the, let's say the thoracic cavity. So this is the aorta, the azygos vein. We're gonna talk about the system of azygos vein, the ventral root, the dorsal, and the spinal nerve. This is the spinal nerve from where we have the arising of these roots. Okay, innervating posteriorly the rectal spinae, uh, all the cutaneous area, and of course more sensory branches are going to collect the information from the anterior part of the body, okay? And uh, they, uh, we need to have this in mind. We have the vein, we intercostal vein, we have the artery, and we have the nerve. And we can add lymphatics, okay? We can have, add lymphatics over here because we need to collect the lymph from the area. And this lymph is gonna be filtered in some lymph nodes that we're gonna see. They, they are located deeply or superficial. Okay, so um, the T12 ventral ramus form the subcostal nerve that is below a rib, but it's not in between ribs, because it's the last rib, 
guys. This is the reason. It's the last rib. Okay? Sensory, anterior and lateral cutaneous branches. Okay? And, of course, the posterior cutaneous branches, branches they're going to supply the deep back muscle in the posterior part. Now, difference in between myotomes and dermatomes. Okay. The nerves are going to innervate sensory, you know, these areas of the skin. And these areas of the skin are known as a dermatomes. But they are too to innervate the muscles. And when they innervate a muscle, these are motor fibers, those are myotomes. There's no possible mistake here. Okay? Myotomes. Dermatome is sensory. Myotome is motor. Are we good with this? Um, we need to know something about this. Rib fractures, very risky, right? Can happen by direct blow. blow. You, you can say, or uh, car crash, or always. Anterior to the angle. And the broken rib can perforate what? Can perforate the pleura and produce a pneumothorax. Can perforate the pericardium and damage the myocardium. And here we go with a cardiac tamponade, okay, bleeding in the pericardial sac. Or they can be broken and perforate as well the, the spleen or perforate the liver or a hollow viscous, okay? So uh, refractures are a problem. And they are legal problem too, okay? No one... I mean, a very old person can fall from the, the bed and have a fracture, but it's unlikely. You need to hit the person in the area. Or this person needs a high-speed, you know, uh, just hit in, in the area to produce a fracture. So it's very important for us. Herpes zoster infection. The herpes zoster, I'm not going to go on the history of the, you know, chicken pox and da-da-da-da because we're going to talk about this, but what is important about the herpes zoster now for us is that they are going to follow a nerve root. Or, remember, cranial nerves, they are what? Peripheral nerves. They're going to follow a nerve, the innervation, a nerve root, okay? They're going to damage a myo, not a myotome, but a dermatome. And for example, if we have, let's say, um, I don't know, herpes simplex, or the same herpes zoster of the nose, remember V1, V2, V1, and V2 is important because it's the area we have this innervation. It's the area from where we have the dermatomes. So 
an infection or a, let's say a herpes zoster in the upper part of the nose may infect the palatine of this person, the palate. You can see the, the vesicles as well. It's most likely the area to get infected, okay? Are they going to be symmetrical? No, they're not going to be symmetrical because dermatomes are not symmetrical. They overlap. So herpes zoster infection is going to affect or follow a nerve root that innervates a dermatome. Got it? A flyo chest. This happens when you don't have stability of the rib cage. And with this, we can see something that is known as a paradoxic ventilation. When you have a flail chest, that means the ribs got fracture in both sides and they are unstable, totally unstable. When you're trying to breathe in, they're gonna go depressed. Understand? There's the, the thorax lost the rigidity communicated by the rib cage and the integrity of the ribs. Understand this? So if you breathe in, they're gonna depress because they don't have a sustain. I mean, they don't, they cannot be holded and move following the inspiratory process. And at the opposite, they're gonna move anywhere. How we treat the patient, we need to intubate the patient is what we know as a internal uh, splinting, internal splinting. Uh, in some other cases, they fix the area with wires, you know, surgical wires, and they place the patient on, uh, on a weight to help this to be, uh, you know, uh, corrected. But it's, it's terrible, okay? So, flail chest, okay? Vasculature of the thorax, we have the veins, arteries, of course, and lymphatics that are related, very closely related with the breast anteriorly, okay? So, internal thoracic vein, they are the one crossing vertically. They cross vertically, okay? and they go bilaterally. You see the left superior intercostal over here? See? And this one over here, the long one, this one is the internal thoracic vein. They collect blood from their tributaries, okay? Look at the, the word, venous drainage of the thoracic cavity. Oh, because we're collecting blood, right? So anterior intercostal is gonna collect the internal thoracic vein from the, the diaphragm, musculophrenic. This musculophrenic vein is another one that collects the blood from the diaphragm. From the superior epigastric veins, superior epigastric veins, and all of these are gonna drain to the brachiocephalic vein on the same side. On the brachiocephalic vein on the same side. 
okay? We have the anterior intercostal vein. Anterior intercostal veins. You see this one? They're gonna go anteriorly, right? Anteriorly. And we have the posterior intercostal vein. Posterior intercostal vein. These anterior intercostal vein, they collect the blood and they're gonna drain these spaces and the anterior thoracic wall into the azygos vein. Into the azygos vein. This one over here is the azygos vein, okay? And the azygos vein is gonna transport, you see this one? It's gonna transport this blood or drain this blood into the superior vena cava. Superior vena cava. Okay? It's gonna drain everything from the, the posterior and anterior. Uh, and sometimes they drain. You can find some veins that they go straight ahead into the superior vena cava. Okay? It's anatomy. So, we have the posterior intercostal veins. From the right side, they drain into the azygos vein, okay? But the posterior from the left side, they're gonna terminate into the azygos vein or into the hemiazygos vein, okay? In these two. Why? The, all the blood collected in the posterior intercostal vein, again, from the left side, remember, posterior intercostal vein from the left side, goes and drain the blood into the accessory, hemiazygous vein, or hemiazygous vein. And from the hemiazygous vein, the blood is gonna go to the azygous vein. It's not so complicated, right? <laughs> the hemiazygous vein is gonna receive blood from the left lower intercostal, right? From the esophageal and accessory hemiazygous vein. Let me tell you something, guys. This uh, azygous system is very important when we are thinking on esophageal varices. Very important, this system. Just saying, for you to remember. Accessory hemiazygous vein is located anteriorly to the vertebral column. Okay, this is the azygous vein. And the accessory is over here, is anterior, located to the anterior vertebral column. And usually move away, you know, uh, from the from the midline, and it's gonna receive tributaries from the fourth to eighth posterior intercostal vein on the left side. So, from the internal thoracic vein, from the external thoracic vein, we have these veins. We're gonna collect the blood from the anterior and posterior part of the intercostal spaces, okay? And go on. 
arterial supply, internal thoracic arteries. From where we have these, they arise from the subclavian arteries on each side. Okay? Internal thoracic arteries arrive from the subclavian arteries of, 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 uh, on both sides. So we have the internal thoracic arteries, subclavian artery on each side, and they go lateral to the sternum. Okay? Okay, then from the internal thoracic artery, we give rise of this anterior intercostal artery. Anterior intercostal arteries. Okay, this one, you see this one, and this one, and we have as well the posterior over here. Okay, we have the anterior intercostal arteries here. So, the, this one, the anterior intercostal arteries, they arise, remember, from the internal thoracic arteries that arise from the subclavian artery, okay? In this case, subclavian artery give rise of, of these internal thoracic arteries. The superior uh, epigastric artery, this one that we have here, superior epigastric artery is, is a medial branch of the internal thoracic artery, okay, and descend to the rectus abdominis muscle and go and get together with the mesenteric or with the inferior epigastric artery that is not here, okay? The musculophrenic is a branch of the internal thoracic artery that follows the surface of the internal part of the costal arch and give rise to the seven through nine anterior intercostal arteries. Okay, just make an arrow, okay? Internal thoracic arteries give rise to the anterior intercostal arteries, okay, bifurcates into the superior epigastric arteries and musculophrenic. So the anterior intercostal arteries arise from the same internal and musculophrenic arteries and so on. So, okay, the posterior intercostal block, uh, supply the blood for the posterior lateral regions posterior lateral regions. Here we have the nerves, innervation, and we have, as you see, you see all of these? Those are the ramification of the nerves. And this one uh, the, is, is going to, this one, the posterior intercostal artery, is going, uh, or is arise from the costal cervical trunk of the subclavian artery. Costal cervical trunk is uh, precisely at the level at the level of T1 or at the level of the second rib. Sorry. No, the first rib, guys. Sorry, the first rib. So 
is a coastal cervical trunk, what we have over there, and uh, continue um, of this. The rest of the posterior intercostal arteries, they go segmentally from the descending aorta. Do you remember when we talked the other day about the, the intervertebral arteries? Okay, that arise from the aorta arteries along its way down. Okay, mainly in the post in the thoracic and uh, abdomen uh, uh, portions of the aorta artery is the same. Okay. So, and we have the subcostal artery that uh, travels below the 12th rib. That's it. Yes. Farid. The internal thoracic artery is the same mammary? We're going to talk about the memory now. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you. But it's yes. It's yes. Okay. So, intercostal nerve block, you need to know, ah, this is the collateral branch. Remember, we go here. And this is the uh, bundle, the normal bundle of uh, uh, vasculature and innervation of the, the rib, okay? So in order to block the area, you can access the nerve and inject uh, an anesthetic solution, mainly when you're going to use the area or when the patient is having a terrible pain because a metastatic lesion that is very painful or maybe a compression sometimes when the the rib moves from from the proper side producing a dislocation uh you can you can see compression of arteries for example can't you imagine the first rib moving away from the side what is going to happen what is going to happen for you a compression of what of the subclavian artery right if you have a compression of the subclavian artery what is going to happen to this upper arm? Because from the subclavian artery, we have the arising of the axillary artery, and then all of these arteries that supply the upper arm. Okay? So how you know this person? Because you can have supernumerary ribs as well. Okay? And this is a congenital defect, and you can have compression over there of the subclavian what you need to do in order to know this is ask the patient stand in front of you and you're going to hold the pulsation with one hand. At the time, you're elevating the arm of the patient at certain point because the first rib, look at me, is compressing the subclavian artery. You're going to miss the pulse. And the arm is going to turn pale. Make sense? Are you good with this? Okay, so, yes. Is that what they call thoracic outlet syndrome? Uh, yeah. Because, like, actually, yes. You do an ABI test for that, right? Is that, like, the test? Yes. Oh. Yes. Okay, dyspnea, difficulty breathing, whatever condition can uh, produce in you uh, difficulty breathing or dyspnea. Okay? So, how you know this? 
because when you're expecting your patient, without your patient yet having central cyanosis, you can see that your patient is laboring for air, right? It's using the accessory respiratory muscles. This is a good, I mean, it's a, the main importance of this, okay? Not only because your patient is an asthma patient or COPD patient, this can be seen as well in, you know, during poison condition or a person that inhale CO2 uh, or monoxide, carbon monoxide, sorry, carbon monoxide, okay, CO. So uh, it's very important for us to have this in mind. Okay, the diaphragm, two domes, right? So the, the right dome of the diaphragm, let me tell you, the diaphragm is attached to the crura, okay? Uh, to the crura, the right and the left, of course, and the origin is at the sifoid process, okay? The lower six ribs from T12 to L2 vertebra bodies, okay? We have the right and left crura of the diaphragm just inserted there, okay? Uh, they are attached to L1 and L2 vertebra bodies. Um, in the case of the right dome of the diaphragm, we can see that the right dome of the diaphragm is a little bit elevated because the position of the liver in this upper um, quadrant, okay? So the diaphragm is innervated. Oh, this is a very important thing, right? In the diaphragm, we're gonna have a central uh, uh, tendon, right? A central tendon. So in this way, the diaphragm is gonna pull upon the the fibers when the diaphragm is contracting. That's why when the diaphragm contracts, it's gonna be pulling down like this, right? It's gonna be down by contraction. What are the nerves innervating the diaphragm? We have some rescue nerves, but mainly we have what? The phrenic nerve from C3 to C5, I mean, C3, C4, and anterior rami of C5, uh, ramos of C5, but it's okay. So, um, this is a mnemonic. The motor, you know, is, is purely motor, the action of this uh, phrenic nerve, the phrenic nerves, there are two, of course, innervating each dome of the diaphragm and uh, stimulate the diaphragm to contract. And the sensory comes from the parietal layer of the pericardium. The sensory innervation comes from the parietal layer of the pericardium. Look at this. 
certain acute myocardial infarction, they're gonna give you pain, right? Pain where? Maybe. Pain in the chest, right? Pain in the chest. So, what happened over here is that the diaphragm is gonna receive in this sensory information from what is happening in the myocardium that is gonna be communicated to the pericardium. Okay, here you have causes of a pain. So, um, the parietal pleura, the mediastinal, and the diaphragmatic, they're gonna go over the dome, okay? Just, just lining the right and, and the left dome of the diaphragm as well, okay? And, uh, and then you're gonna use as well in the diaphragm sensory innervation from the intercostal nerves. So, look at this. We have a connection here for painful herpes zoster again, right? Okay, we have a connection here. Then when you have this herpes zoster in any of the intercostal nerves, what is gonna happen that inspiration is gonna be painful for you, right? Here you go. So, how how the, the phrenic nerve goes down? Okay. C3, C4, ventral rami bilaterally. Uh, I mean, C3, C5. And then anterior surface of the anterior scalene muscle between the subclavian vein and the subclavian artery. Okay. And this is an area for just block the phrenic nerve in the case of a patient with constant and irresolved hiccups. Another thing that I want to call the attention over here, your attention over here, is as well the way the phrenic nerve descends that I this sense, you, look at this, look at this. Between the subclavian artery, vein and artery, and is accompanied by the pericardiophrenic vessels, okay? And as this sense anterior to the root of the lung to the diaphragm, to innervate the diaphragm. So, if you have a patient with an infarction in diaphragmatic, in the diaphragmatic side of the heart, what is gonna happen here? And it's one of the weird things that you can see, but it's hiccups, hiccups. And in diabetic patients, you don't see too much of pain, but the patient complain of hiccups. Why is that? Because the phrenic nerve, was altered and collect this information. The phrenic nerve, have you ever heard about this? No, hiccups during the course of an acute myocardial infarction? Yes? Cover your face. I had a surgery once. 
Oh, look at the sympathetic trunk. Oh, this is important, guys. You see this sympathetic trunk here? They go and innervate as well the, the viscera in the abdomen and in the, in the thoracic part of the body, right? So, in the abdomen, because the parasympathetic trunk are going to cross by and go and innervate all the organs in the abdomen and so, this is very interesting because one of the things that you're going to see when a patient is suffering from a peptic ulcer that doesn't resolve is perform a parasympathetectomy in the area in order to stop too much secretion in the stomach. Just saying could be a question in your physiology. If you cut the access of the parasympathetic nerve to the stomach, what happened to the gastric secretion is going to diminish, okay? It's going to disappear sometimes. And uh, what you, you don't want is this ulcer continue open and open and open, right? Parasympathectomy. Uh, this is the position of the diaphragm here. And, of course, uh, poliomyelitis is one of these diseases that is almost, you know, almost disappeared from, from the planet, but still here, still around, and affecting a lot of developing countries' population. And uh, if one of the phrenic nerve is damaged by the poliomyelitis virus, of course, this part of the diaphragm result paralyzed. What is going to happen? Oh, let me, uh, I'm going to continue with this. But before that, the venous return, and not only the venous return, remember the cisterna chile drainage up? You can add this too. The alternating contraction of the diaphragm is going to help uh, in, into the, uh, the, the venous return, okay? It's going to um, facilitate the venous return to the heart, okay? And of course, it's going to change, um, you know, pressures in the, remember the jugular venous pressure and so? Huh? What happened in the deep inspiration? How did, exactly. So, valsalva maneuver is an action in which you bear down, right? So, you're going to see how the pressure is increasing, okay? Increase. When this happens, the diaphragm contracts and the intradominal pressure increases. And if the intradominal pressure increases, what is going to happen? We're going to have as well, equalization of the air in the middle ear. And of course, if we have any problem, the diaphragm when contract is gonna help us. I mean, the vomit has a reflex as well, you know, and all of this and a, a way to, to happen and help the expel the feces during the process of defecation as well. And urine from the body by contraction of the diaphragm. Salva maneuver. Okay? Every time we blow the, the, the nose or another way to see that. Look at me. 
the special techniques for auscultating the heart, right? What are you telling the patient on the left-hand side? Roll on your left-hand side, please. Take a deep breath, let it go and hold it. This is Valsalva. By asking your patient, we're gonna talk about this next, um, the last lecture, but asking your patient to go lateral, the heart is closer to the chest wall. This is number one. By asking your, your patient, hold the breath after you empty, you know, you are permitting by Balsalva to hear much better a kind of murmur that we're gonna study in the fall, okay? As well, when you ask your patient to sit and uh, lean down, lean, uh, leaning forward. Paralysis of diaphragm, what happened? Uh, we have another case here of the, you know, uh, something that is not normal, right? You have a, paral a paralyzed dome of the diaphragm because polymyelitis, okay? Um, poly uh, polyomyelitis, and of course, what happened is the diaphragm is not gonna work properly. During inspiration, during inspiration, what is gonna happen is that uh, uh, is a kind of paradoxic inspiration as well with the diaphragm. Remember the flail ribs? Okay, this is as well a kind of paradoxic movement of the diaphragm that is paralyzed. During inspiration, the, the normal diaphragm, the normal one is gonna go down, right? Inspiration goes down as the one that is paralyzed, the one that is paralyzed is just living down, living behind, okay? So, uh, it's not living behind, but we have viscera here that is gonna push it up, right? And during the expiration, it's gonna be pushing down the paralyzed one because we are enhancing the thoracic cavity, and what happened is we have the normal diaphragm during expiration, sorry, we are pushing down, and yeah, this is the way, right? Ah, uh, no, during inspiration, the positive pressure, sorry, the positive pressure is gonna move the diaphragm that is paralyzed down. It's a kind of, you know, uh, paradoxic thing. Positive pressure during expiration pulls down, right? And during inspiration, the paralyzed one is gonna go up because the viscera is gonna take advantage of this paralyzed dome of the diaphragm. Understand? Go again. Okay, because kind of confusing, right? So, during inspiration, the normal diaphragm, the one that is working, is gonna go down. As the abnormal one or the paralyzed one is gonna go up by the pressure of the viscera. 
and the abdomen. Understand this? During expiration. Does that change the intensity of the breath sound? Sorry? Does that change the intensity of the breath sound? Sorry. Does that change the intensity of the breath sound? Depending on the intensity or how you breathe in, breathe out, doesn't matter because it's not going to work. So would you hear one, one of the, like, would you hear the paralyzed side? No, you don't hear anything. No, because the, the lung is collapsed. Okay, that lung is not working anymore. If you don't have the diaphragm in that lung, that lung is not working anymore. And this is a big problem because precisely the patients that suffer from poliomyelitis and lost one of the phrenic nerve functions is lucky because at least have one working. In the past, um, and was the first time people were ventilated, they had both phrenic nerve damage. So they couldn't breathe by themselves. And they prepared, uh, you know, a device that was known as an iron lung that by negative pressure makes the air entering through the airway of the patient. And the other day, a lady that uh, she lives in, in uh, like 40-something years in an iron lung, she finished a book and everything, you know, just died after 40-something years. And during this epidemic, I mean, this was, I, I'd never seen this, of course, but, you know, it was terrible. It was the time when they came out with the idea of ventilation because they paralyze phrenic nerve. Okay, you can see this, or maybe it's a surgical, you know, malpractice, a surgical, or a tumor that is affecting the, you know, the phrenic nerve as well. So, it's a lot. So, you understand this part, right? Beautiful. Uh, memory gland. We cannot talk about the chest without talking about the memory glands. And both male and female, we have memory glands, right? Uh, but before we have sexual characteristics uh, different, you know, sexual characteristics. So uh, for us, it's very important to develop the breast or the mammary gland because we're supposed to have children, right? and we need to do the lactation. But this doesn't mean that male cannot lactate as well. <laughs> Positive feedback, guys. Positive feedback. Okay? Later. Later. Okay, so, positive feedback. So, uh, it's not a phenomenon, it's a it's physiology. Okay? So, from Ribs two to six. Oh no, I saw them that they go until no guys. Come on. The base of the mammary gland <laughs> is located between the second and the sixth ribs. Okay? I know everything goes down with the <laughs> tell me about it. But this is the position, the anatomical position of the mammary glands. What happened there? 
What happened? Oh, she's sleepy. Okay. So each memory gland is having 15 to 20 uh, lobules. Okay. And in the lobules, we have glandular tissue. Do not confuse lobules with the fat that we have in the mammary glands, all of us, do not confuse the, the, the uh, and not confuse these with the saline pads, either. Okay. So, because even with saline pads, you need to go and have your mammography. Okay? So, uh, the lobules, because they have glandular tissue, they're gonna, what? Be in charge of produce milk. They have a lactiferous duct that open on the surface of the nipple, okay? And they're gonna enhance and, you know, um, stimulate to produce milk under the influence of what hormone? Prolactin. And digestion? Beautiful. So the nipple is positioned on the anterior surface, surrounded by the areola. All of this is an elastic tissue, okay? Losing the possibility to erect the nipple, okay? And a wrinkle the areola is talking about a subjacent malignancy, okay? Subjacent malignancy. So, of course, uh, the nipple is gonna be erected when you are sexually aroused, male and female, or when you are ejecting milk during lactation, okay? So, we have the suspensory ligament. Suspensory ligaments are also known as a corporal ligament and supposed, so, uh, sorry, they support and keep the breast <laughs> in normal shape. Okay? So, and um, terminate in the dermis and so. Some breasts, they have uh, uh, just, just a wide base and permit you to have and see erect you know, or in place, breast until you are in an advanced age. Some mother, they have a reduced base and you're gonna see them just going down even if you are a very young person, okay? We have a retro memory space. What is this space? When you see a retro space, it's covered by fascia all the time, overlying the pectoralis major and the serrat serratus anterior muscle, these two. So, a problem, or let's say, uh, I don't know, breast cancer can affect the area too, right? Can go and, you know, metastasize on, on the muscles as well, okay? Different types and so. Axillary tile, 
tail. This is a stencil. It's known as a stencil tail as well. It's over here, okay? It's the, the one that, that extends along the inferior border of the pectoralis major, okay? To the, into the axilla, okay? Goes here. And this, the mammary gland is separate in four quadrants, okay? Superior, middle, or medial, inferior, medial, superior, external, and inferior, external. And you're gonna separate these quadrants to, you know, just describe where the damage or where you find the lump or where you find the irregularity. And happens to be that it's more common seen in the upper external quadrant where the uh, tail of Spence is located. Okay? I'm not telling you that is the only place, but oh my God, guys, come on. You don't have anything, come on. Uh, every year I have the mammography and I'm. Oh my God, I go to the women's center over here in downtown. They give me this robe, and I was like, a, oh, hey, Baruha Taunai, whatever, whatever, let me see something. Or, until they, and afterward, what, what, what? It's the same with male waiting for the PSA. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, this moment is, is worse than the result of the AMP exam. <laughs> It's worse than that, guys. Believe me, it's worse. You feel like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. My students. <laughs> so, arteries, vein, and lymphatics. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get some, you know, when I retire, I'm gonna go to any of uh, these comic places. So, arteries, perforated branches all the time, guys. From what? From the memory artery. Thank you so much. Why? You, you brought the, you know, the spontaneous thing. Oh, my God. Okay. Maybe they, they didn't listen. They didn't listen. So, internal thoracic is also known as a memory artery. If you hit by any chance the mammary artery, you're gonna bleed to death for sure. Okay? So, lateral thoracic and posterior intercostal arteries. All of these, uh, you know, um, give fresh blood to the breast. The veins, tributaries to the internal thoracic lateral thoracic and posterior intercostal vein. You see, we cannot talk about the thorax without talking about the mammary gland. Very important. <coughs> then, most of the lymphatic drainage from the nipple, including the nipple, draining to the axillary lymph node. And we're gonna have some lymph node, uh, lymph from the medial region, draining to parasternal and supraclavicular lymph nodes that we're gonna see in a while. 
I may cross the midline <coughs> and go to the inguinal lymph nodes. Weird, right? And cross to the other side as well. <coughs> That's why we can see bilateral breast cancer. Make sense? That's why if somebody, I mean, goes and just go to see the doctor, is diagnosed with breast cancer in one of the uh, breasts, they need to, you know, suggest some options. And the person is going to, you know, decide what the person is just want to do with this. Uh, we have many things at this time now. You can, if you have a first degree relative that suffered from uh, breast cancer um, before the menopause, it's much better for you to go, don't say matter that, what age you, have, you are, and check it out. It's much better, okay? Uh, we're going to study this in, in PD, but, you know, just think about this. How uh, breast cancer could be... Um, you know, be avoided or at least avoided in the other breast if you have already one damage. Okay? Internal thoracic and the perforated branches, the memory, look at this, the memory from the axillary artery, we have the lateral thoracic artery as well. The breast is highly vascularized depending the amount of Fatty tissue, do not confuse fatty tissue with the glandular tissue of the breast. So, we have that the limb from the right breast eventually drains into the right lymphatic duct, right? Where? At the junction of the brachiocephalic trunk, right? Ah. Uh, so, the left breast drains into the thoracic lymph duct. Remember, right thoracic, okay? This one is going to drain into the subclavian uh, vein to the uh, brachiocephalic vein, okay? So, we have the humeral. Those are known as uh, lateral nodes that you're going to check over here in this inner part. They are known as the lateral nodes because this is anatomy. Look at the position. Uh, no, no, don't worry. <laughs> okay, so look at the position of the breast. That's why they are called lateral nodes. Okay, when you're going to check them, you need to palpate very close. Over there is uncomfortable to be, you know, against the humerus one. Because you can find some of this. So, these lateral node, uh, nodes receive lymph from the upper limb. Upper limb. But, but, they are going to empty the lymph into the axillary nodes. And the axillary nodes are the one draining the lymph from the nipple and all of these areas. And guess what? 
when you remove a breast because breast cancer, what is going to happen to this arm? Lymphedema is going to happen. Lymphedema. Because the lymph from the arm has no place to drain anymore. Okay? You remove these lymph nodes. So the pectoral, these are anterior nodes. They are located at the distal border of the pectoralis minor. And drain the breast and part of the thoracic wall. Part of the thoracic wall. Subscapular, the posterior nodes. Subscapular, the posterior nodes. Uh, I mean, I cannot do it myself, but you're gonna grab the fold back over here. And remember how we check the deep all the time. You're gonna go on this fold and try to reach if this person is having any, any node, right? Drain the axilla, shoulder, and body wall. The central node, you can say the central and the apical node are the first one to yell or scream out loud when you have a, a breast condition, I mean a carcinoma. Not only that, guys, let me tell you, because a leaf node that is hard, doesn't move, is you know, you can say it's pituous. This had to do with a metastasis from cancer. But sometimes this lady is suffering from mastitis. That is an inflammation of the breast. Because it was lactating or something, and here you go. Staphylococcus aureus. So you can have this inflammation of the lymph node that is a normal inflammatory response. But it's painful. It's different and it's gonna disappear eventually after treatment. Understand what I'm saying? Okay, that's why it's so important to check our breasts. Not only for ladies, for everybody. For everybody. And males do not confuse breast cancer of the male with gynecomastia. They are two different things. Gynecomastia can be treatable, it's just fat, it's a steady question, just take away this fat, okay? You have your areola and your nipple there, and just take away the fat. Or maybe check your, you know, what medication you're taking. This is seen, for example, in people that use drugs and all of this. You can see this. In people that are taking medications for certain conditions as well, you're going to see uh, gynecomastia. And another moment when you see gynecomastia in male patients is when they are in the tanner stages. And when you palpate the area, it's gonna be painful because they are growing up. What do we have? Influence of LSH, FSH, all of this is crazy. Okay, for the first time they have this thing and the other, you know, these kind of things. So, apical, the central nodes embedded in the axillary fan, Humeral, pectoral, and subscapular, apical, uh, the central nodes, and the apical nodes over here deep inside and against the thoracic wall is the way you're going to feel the apical. Uh, surround the axillary vein near the pectoralis minor and drain all other 
axillary nodes and lymphatic vessel on the mammary gland. And that's why apical node is gonna tell you, oh, Houston, we have a big problem. Okay, then again, those are the nodes. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. This is the lateral here, okay? The pectoral anterior. We have the central lymph node, central lymph node. The apical lymph nodes, when, in the majority of the cases, when they find an apical lymph node swollen and hard, is the first biopsy they're gonna get, okay? It's gonna tell you things. So, the lymph is moving away, going into bronchomediastinal lymphatic chain as well, or trunk. We have parasternal lymph nodes that can be swollen as well, or metastasized, okay? And go to the other uh, uh, breast. You see the leaf going here? Or going there to diaphragmatic lymphatics until reaching what? The lymph nodes of the inguinal region. Let me tell you something. I know it's too much information, but just for you to know. Remember, all of this is mainly skin, right? It's very, it's not internally. So, mother nature is very wise. Uh, it's going to transport this lymph to the inguinal lymph nodes. And it's weird to see somebody with uh, breast cancer and the only satellite lymph nodes is going to be in the inguinal region. Because in the inguinal region, with mainly, you know, the swollen over there is going to happen from the leg or from the external genitalia. Because the internal genitalia, you don't see the nodes. They are over there in the abdominal cavity. Scary, right? Anyways, but it's life. Intercostal nerve takes take care of the, of the general sensory innervation of the skin overlying the breast. Remember, if you have a subjacent tumor, this subjacent tumor is Hopping the sensory receptor from the skin to permit this elastic skin of the areola and the nipple contract. Understand what I'm saying? It's stopping everything in the area. So it's a very special tissue, what we have over there, right? Special tissue. Uh, and, um, you know, physiologic changes during the maturation and so on. They are leading by LH, LH, uh, lutein hormone stimulating, LSH stimulating hormone, or follicular stimulating hormone, okay? And of course, we have, I mean, the developing of the breast and the maturation of the glands of the breast and everything, um, you know. Uh, the breast quadrant, we talk about this. If we find, I mean, it's, it's just following the, how the clock looks and all of this because you're gonna say, for example, I find a lump uh, around, let's say, 10, right? Uh, maybe uh, five centimeters from the nipple area, okay? 
as closer the nipple is lactiferous, you know, uh, dots, carcinoma, not very good. Okay, so supernumerary breast and nipples is very common. I saw some of you already. Uh, <laughs> it's normal, guys. It's along the nipple line, you know, and extra. You see? Oh, looks like a nevi. Ne no, they're not nebus. Okay? They are in the mammillary line or in the, um, you know, uh, breast line. And look at this, multiple. I mean, look at this one, this one over here. Okay? Sometimes you see uh, close to axillary region. Super narrow. This is normal, okay? I mean, it's, it's not a, a abnormality, like uh, it's not a disease, but I'm, I try to say. Uh, cancer, we talk about this. This is a mammogram. Oh, oh my God. Already here, okay? Cancer in male. What happens is you don't go to the doctor, you don't check your breast. Because you think for many of you consider that touching there is thing for the women and so. But let me tell you guys, I don't know if you watch a, a show in Netflix, a million little no Hulu, Hulu, a million little things. Are the guys a survivor from uh, breast cancer? Okay, as you see, they remove a breast over here, and it's not a lady, right? Okay, so what is the, the anatomy? L less glandular content. You can see uh, the nipple with uh, something that is known as a phantom or ghost uh, ducts because they just embedded in the fat and they don't know where to go, you know. And lie the same between the second and the sixth a rib. And of course, the chest wall is not complicated and you can sleep much better uh, on your belly, right? And the same lip nodes around, and so, you know. Uh, thank you very much. Any question? No question at all? No question? Uh, it's a pity, I don't have, uh, you know, this is no fear, guys. I don't like this. Or everybody, or, you know. Okay, so uh, 